0: Morning, church. Our, our reading this morning is from 1 John 1, 1 through 10. 1 John 1, 1 through 10. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it. and We proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ we write this to make our joy complete this is the message we have heard from and declare to you god is light in him there is no darkness at all if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. Good morning. I've got on both mics here, so.
1: Okay, we're part of doing a series, as uh, we kind of reminded each week, and we want to be talking about, as Christians, the idea of fellowship today. Uh, And as we talk about this, What's, what's interesting is kind of that the word fellowship, uh, is kind of an interesting word because we use it in so many different ways today. Um, and, you know, I was thinking about, well, what's the way we most often hear the word fellowship? And if I said the fellowship of the ring, right? And some of you are looking at me like, huh? What planet are you from? Okay. That's from the Lord of the Rings, right? The, uh, Tolkien's, classic uh, fiction uh, it's been made in a movie and it's been aired in uh, umpteen times uh, but even then you kind of wonder okay well are using the word but labor unions use the word fellowship universities use the word fellowship in a slightly different way uh, Back in ancient times, there was what was called a fellowship meal, where a king would sit down and with his subjects in front of him, and they would eat in front of him, and that was called a fellowship meal, uh, used in the religious world. And the one that would get your attention, <laughs> we you talk about a shared meal, a cup of coffee. You know, you'd love it if I said, "Okay, we're having a fellowship after." We're not, but I'm just. <laughs> But, you know, we we just use that that term to talk about, you know, getting together, having a potluck, you know, eating a meal together. And we kind of put the emphasis on the food rather than on the association that goes with that. I want to start with a, a story that Paul tells us back. Um, when he talks about when he went back to Jerusalem and met with the apostles, uh, especially Peter... James and John. Now, the James there was probably James the Lord's brother, because James the brother of John was long dead. And we know that James the Lord's brother actually is uh, quite prominent in, in leadership in the church by that point. But there were questions about Paul. I mean, Paul had been a Jew. He had been persecuting the church. He had been totally against it. So it was a long struggle for the church in Jerusalem, under, under the leaders, under the apostles, to kind of come to acknowledge not only that Paul was a Christian, but that he was an apostle. And so Paul tells uh, tells his readers that, that he went back to Jerusalem, that he appeared and laid out his gospel to the leadership there. And at some point then, in Galatians 2 9, they extended to him the right hand of fellowship. Isn't that an interesting term? You know, the first thing we tend to think about when we see that is, okay, so they gave him a handshake. Well, no, that's not what it means. That may have been this, the, the, the symbolism, but what it means is that they accepted him. They recognized him not only as a Christian, but also as an apostle. They recognized that, that as they had been reaching out to the circumcised, to the Jews, that Paul's ministry, called by Jesus, was to go to the Gentiles. And so there was an acknowledgment there with that. So, you know, today we tend to see the idea of, of the right hand of fellowship as a handshake. But, you know, let's think about it. How many people shook hands when they came in today or bumped fists or elbows or whatever? Uh, Some kind of a greeting. But there's really not much more conveyed in that because, you know, you go to a social setting, people shake hands. And there's not a particular meaning to that. Uh, There was a time when a handshake was how you sealed or agreed or ratified a contract. You know, I, I, you you might think of times where people talked about, you know, my handshake is my signature, my seal, you know, on this. But the right hand of fellowship has something more than that. And I'm going to go back even further in history, uh, and I'm hoping that you can see this picture. Okay, this, and if you look at the bottom, this this is a picture of what's called a stone relief, you know, it's carved in stone, from 900 years before Christ. So 3,000 years ago. These are two well-known kings of the time that are agreeing to a peace treaty. And I want you to look at that picture. And, okay, in their left hands, they each have a staff. Now, there could be discussion as to the meaning of that staff. Is it just to keep them propped up? Or is it a symbol of office, which in some cultures it was? But it wasn't and particularly intended as a weapon. But, you know, you think about the fact that most people, I'm sorry, lefties, but most people are right-handed, right? Now, if you're a lefty, you know that this is a right-handed world, and it's kind of not fair. But, uh, but for people, you know with the world, and what are their right hands doing? They're shaking hands. Why? Well, where are their weapons? Where are their swords? They're hanging on their left hips. You see that? Because what would happen is they would reach around, grab the sword, and pull it out like that. But if my hand... Is shaking yours, I can't grab my sword. So that's why the handshake became a symbol of, and gesture of peace and of a covenant. So that the this, the symbol of the right hand of fellowship is was really significant because it's acceptance, its affirmation, its recognition. You know, and so the apostles are are extending that toward Paul. Now, fellowship, and it's, it's kind of interesting because the word fellowship uh, in the English dictionary means companionship or company. Uh, not, not company like a corporation, but just togetherness with others. Uh, but in this passage that we just read from 1 John 1, in 10 verses, the word fellowship is used four times. That's why using that, this passage for our reading is important because, uh, it, it has great meaning with that. The Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. And it's interesting because that's one of those Greek words that does slip into English every once in a while. Uh, and you're probably thinking, where? I've never seen it. Okay. But, uh, but it comes from the word koine, Greek. And Koine means common. The New Testament was written not in classical Greek, but in what was called Koine Greek, which is the common Greek. It was the Greek that was used in ordinary life. It wasn't a formal language. It was a simple language. Uh, and so, the idea of Koine and the idea of common. So, fellowship means to have or to share in common. So. Yes, if you and I sit down and have a cup of coffee or tea together, we have that time together. We have that beverage together. But that is not really what fellowship is, is it? Fellowship has something much greater involved. Uh, it's more than a social relationship. So let's go to 1 John uh, I always find it interesting that you can tell when somebody has something really special they want to do. I used to love it when our kids would come home and they had some news and they would be really excited. And one of the ways you could tell they were really excited and it was really important is because they would repeat it over and over and over again, right, parents? You know, so I want you to notice something about John 1 first three verses. Okay, so he begins with the expression, that which was from the beginning. And if somebody was teaching you how to write, they probably would say you don't start with a a pronoun. A pronoun is a word other than the noun. It, It stands for the noun, but a pronoun refers to the noun that's before, but there's no noun before the word that. But what John is doing is is an emphasis on the word that, that, whatever that is, which was from the beginning. Now, there's an interesting thing about John in that John wrote not only the letters, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, but he also wrote what we call the Gospel of John, which is John's record of the life of Jesus. And how does John begin that? John 1 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And then, several verses later, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father. In the beginning was the Word. So when John says in 1 John 1, that which was from the beginning, he's probably referring back to his record of the life of Jesus to the Word that was there with God at the beginning. Well, then that is probably a reference back to Genesis 1 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So, John makes a, 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 a John highlights an idea here about Going back in time to the very creation, to Jesus who is there, Paul says that everything was created by and for and through Christ. Jesus was there. And so Jesus is that that he's referring to. All right, so that which was from the beginning. Now, look at what he says. Verse 1. What we have heard... What we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at, wait a minute, isn't that redundancy? What we've seen with our eyes and what we've looked at? Yeah. But John wants to establish the point. He's not saying a story that he's heard. He's not giving a once upon a time. He wants his reader to understand this is something that he witnessed, that he experienced, that was real. And so he heard, he saw, he looked at And he touched. We touched with our hands. And so because of that, we proclaim. Verse 2. If you didn't get it in verse 1, you get it in verse 2, right? We have seen. We testify and proclaim to you. All right. Somebody sleeping here, missing the first two? Well, then here's the third one. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. John has repeated three times his personal experience with Jesus that lie at the the, the message that he recorded, the story he recorded in, in the Gospel of John, but now in the points that he's about to make to his readers. So... He says, this is about life. Verse 1, he uses the word life. Verse 2, the word of life. And verse 3, eternal life. This is about Jesus. So, why I, is John writing this? He says, so you may have fellowship with us. Now, John is addressing the reader. The us is probably the apostles. The apostles were those men that Jesus chose To be witnesses. The word apostle means to send out. And so Jesus said, you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the other most parts of the earth. So John wants the reader, wants us, to be able to have fellowship, to have something in common with the apostles that they have with God and with Jesus. So he says, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So one of the first things I kind of think about when I think about this is that, well, wait a minute. How can I, how can you have fellowship with God? What do we have in common? (laughs) I am nothing like God. He is infinite. He is immortal. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing. I'm just me. I'm very limited. I make mistakes. I'm far from perfect. So how do I have fellowship with God? All right. So verse 4 says, John says, this is the message we have heard from him. In other words, he's established in the first three verses that John and the apostles were eyewitnesses. And if I could use the term ear witnesses to Jesus, what they have heard from him, now they're saying, this is the message we have. God is light. And you may be thinking about, wait a minute, what, you know, we're talking about fellowship, we're talking about God, we're talking about hearing uh, and seeing and touching. What does light have to do with it? All right, he's... Likely referring back to John, to the gospel. Now look what he says. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes from the light. So that it may be seen plainly that they um, have been done in the sight of God. So God has given us the opportunity, the ability to have a personal relationship with him. That is so incredibly fabulous. We can have fellowship with God. But how? All right, well, if you look at what John is saying here, there are three things that kind of characterize it. Number one, walking in the light, walking in and being in Christ. Two, having fellowship with him, obeying the truth. And three, abandoning sin. We can't have fellowship with God and continue to live in sin. You know, Paul uses that idea in Romans. He said, shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? You know, he said, by no means. You know, it's not possible. If we are in the light, we don't walk and act like those who are in the darkness. So, what John is really identifying here as the key to fellowship is Christ. So, therefore, and this is really, you know... One of the things that we've got to understand as human beings is that we have fellowship with one another because we have fellowship with God. We don't get fellowship with God through one another. I remember when I was young, I heard a preacher say, sitting in a church building won't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a hen house will make you a chicken. We do not exist as Christians Because we go to church. That isn't how we are what we are. You know, we we emphasize the idea of of meeting together. And we'll talk about that in just a sec here. But it's, it's understanding that we have fellowship together because we have fellowship with God. It starts with what we call the vertical. Between us and God as an individual. And fellowship is active, not theoretical or, or passive. So, there are a couple of statements that, that uh, Jay and Miles made recently, and I made a note of, and just kind of share, share with you. Okay, Jay said in a recent sermon, early Christians met so that they can one another, each other. And he was explaining why do we meet? Well, because we have one another, and we'll talk about that. Miles. If we have been saved from separation, in other words, sin has separated us from God and from each other. Well, then, if we've been saved from separation, we have been saved for connection. That's what we call fellowship. So different words for fellowship, and I'll just buzz through these, but just to kind of get you thinking about as you're reading through the Bible, there are different ways that this is referred to. Companionship relationship, brotherhood, community, family, church. You know, those are all different expressions that relate to that relationship we have with one another because we all have a relationship with God. Members of Christ, the body of Christ, one another. So, faith and salvation... Our personal and individual. We don't get our salvation from our association with other Christians. We don't get salvation from our parents. You know, I did a talk many years ago at Western, and I used the idea, I said, We cannot borrow faith. Borrowing faith from somebody else, you know, borrowing faith from your parents, is like borrowing a toothbrush. You can't do it, or you don't want to do it. That faith is personal, salvation is personal. But faith and salvation are lived out. Reinforced and supported in community with one another, that's why we're here. We're here, yes, we are here to worship, but we're here to support and encourage and strengthen one another. One of the things that I remember when I first started preaching many years ago, uh, and somebody asked me the question, well what do, what can I have?" What do I get when I come to church that I couldn't get at home by myself? The answer is fellowship. And fellowship is important. We cannot do it alone. Through the course of my life, unfortunately, I have known many people who have tried to function as Christians on their own without active fellowship with other Christians. And you know what? Every last one of them at some point falls away from the Lord. Why? Because they haven't had the encouragement and the support of other Christians. This is not a, being a Christian is not a solo act. You know, it is an individual thing, it's a personal thing. But we do it together. And we help one another. We need one another. You know, and sometimes people by their attitudes basically say, Well, I don't need you. The reality is, you know, and, and so Paul uses that idea in First Corinthians, the foot can't say to the hand, because you are not a foot, you're not part of the body. Well, no, you're both parts of the body, you have different functions but all the parts of the body are indispensable. So, Hebrews 10:25, some of you are probably already thinking about this. You know, this passage was hammered on people about why you should go to church and, you know, God's going to strike you dead if you don't. No, that's not the Hebrew writer's point. But his point is to talk about how essential and vital fellowship is for us so he encourages the reader to not forsake the assembly of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but all the more as you see the day drawing nearer. Encouraging one another. That's what we're here to do. We're a family. And so you think about all those words that, that we look at that are that, that are synonyms for the word fellowship. That as we come together as a family, as a community, it is with that idea that as we're talking about, you know, you, th- you think about Paul talking about singing, teaching and admonishing one another with all psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And there's the vertical with the horizontal. You know, it's both. It's not nice, an I said, I know I about it. I've mentioned this before, but, you know, there was a time in church history uh where you know worship was this kind of isolated um in american history there's a very popular icon if you want to call it that uh um, in the history of the united states called the old north church paul revere's ride you right and some of you're going huh okay paul revere issued a warning uh, well, the warning was 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 a signal given to him, and he went riding through the countryside, warning, "The British are coming! The British are coming!" I realize I'm on the other side of things now, but uh, but I always found it interesting. I toured that old church building many times, and people sat in boxes, you know. Now, people go to a hockey game and and pay a fortune to sit in a box seat. Well, that's not what the boxes were. The boxes were seats with walls about that high so you could sit in the box and you didn't have to see anybody else. And so the pulpit was way up high because that was the only way you could see the preacher because there were walls between you and everybody else. No. Fellowship is being with each other, having our faith An expression of our faith, and if I could use the term celebration of our faith, together in common. So, we come together as a community, as one another. So, practical fellowship, the word one another is often used in the New Testament. I didn't collect these statistics, but... uh, Somebody has pointed out that the Greek word, allelon, is used a hundred times in the New Testament. Forty-seven of those times refer to Christians, refer to followers of Christ. One another. And that appears in different ways. I I call this our survival skills, and I've just got it as a list. But if you were to go down and list those forty-seven and this is just a partial list, but this will kind of make the point. Be united. Be one with one another. Show love to one another. Show humility to one another. Greet one another. And you're probably thinking the rest of that is often with a holy kiss, okay? Uh, bear one another's burdens. Encourage one another. Teach one another. Admonish one another. Comfort one another. Speak truth to one another. Uh, there's one that says don't lie to one another. Uh, Pray for one another. Be compassionate to one another. Show hospitality to one another. Don't judge one another. Forgive one another. You know, when you think about how the one another's work together, that's a description of what the church should be like and how we should relate to each other. In Acts 2, we find the story of the day of Pentecost. Pentecost. Apostles together in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes. The crowd gathers. And Peter preaches to the multitude. 3,000 people are baptized that day. Wow, amazing. You now have the beginning of the church, the beginning of of the community, of the family of believers in Jerusalem. And so, just a few verses later, Luke records verse 42 they devoted themselves who the 3000 with the apostles and the others that were already there there were 120 total according to to the early part of acts so if you really want to get it down to it, be be 3131 they were all together They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. The word common is that word koine. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. That is the picture of the fellowship in the early church. You notice that there's a lot in there about worshiping and serving God. There's a lot in there about serving and helping and loving and caring for one another. About 130 years later, a man by the name of Justin Martyr, and he wrote a few books. But he has a dialogue with a man named Trifle, who was a Jewish leader. And it's kind of an interesting read. But at one point, Justin describes the fellowship of the church. It sounds like Acts 2. We who used to value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else. And I hope you get that. That's our culture today. We who value the acquisition of wealth and possessions more than anything else. Now, bring what we have into a common fund to share with anyone who needs it. We used to hate and destroy one another. We refuse to associate with people of another race or country. Now, because of Christ, we live together with such people and pray for our enemies. Isn't that amazing? What Jesus has done in the lives of these people to to not only bring them salvation, but to put them into a community, into a relationship with one another where the emphasis is not on me and my, but on how can we help and how can we serve? It's interesting to note that the origin of the church treasury is in benevolence. So a couple more passages. Galatians 3.27, all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ephesians, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Colossians, here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, as Christ's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with ready for this? Going to sound familiar, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You know, and I've, I think that's so critical. Forgive one another as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. That's why I called this sermon, What a Fellowship, because if you think about The fellowship we have in Christ. First, it is, as we're about to sing, the fellowship we have with Christ leaning on him. Getting our strength, getting our salvation, getting our hope from him. But then, helping and supporting and being supported by brothers and sisters. So as we sing this song, hopefully you'll be thinking about your relationship with God. Your relationship with your brothers and sisters. Let's stand as we sing.